This is episode 189. Today we learn how John Hattie's research connects perfectly with effective ML instruction. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. Many of us are familiar with Dr. John Hattie's work of analyzing the effect size of different things teachers do. He found things correlated with below average, average and above average growth. When I first learned about his work, I saw connections to effective ML instruction. However, there wasn't a book that brought these two together. That is until now. In this episode, Dr. Oscar Corrigan will share the practices that have a significant effect on ML success and growth. He packaged this in a lovely framework, which many of us are already doing now. I hope this episode affirms your work. Now, on to today's podcast. I am so thankful this is recorded right around Thanksgiving. I'm so thankful to have Dr. Oscar Corrigan on the podcast. Anytime that uh, Dr. Douglas Fisher and Dr. Nancy Frey partner with somebody, I know that person that they partner with is an expert among experts. So when I learned about Dr. Corrigan, I was like, I need to have you on the podcast. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Corrigan. Uh, thank you so much, man. It's a pleasure to be in here. I, I think that we we are aligned with every single point when we think about multilingual learners. And I couldn't be more excited to just share some time with you and then talk about our experiences and talk about how we can help our multilingual learners be successful. Well, let's start talking about that first. Can you share a story about teaching that has influenced your practice to this day? Yes, you know, I, I started um, in middle school, so sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. I know that you've taught in middle school too. Um, so I know that I felt very green. I felt like, man, I don't know that I'm ready for this. You know, the kids had so much energy, and my initial focus was on designing great lessons and being intentional and knowing exactly, you know, we're going to talk about teacher clarity today. All those things came up. And then I realized. Once you get the kids in the classroom, it's a it's about building their relationships. It's about getting to know your students and and really understanding what it is that they need, right? If you're really gonna help them be successful, you gotta understand where they're at and where their passions are. And so I quickly realized that in order to make an impact, I needed to create those connections with the students and I needed to know, you know, how I was able to engage them and get them connected to the content, right? It wasn't just, hey, here's the learning intentions. Let's learn some history. They were going to tune me off. And so it was, okay, so here's what you're really excited about. Let's talk about that. Let's build on that. And then let's get to the content. And so I think that quickly, uh, one of my favorite activities that came that come to mind is we had a, a all about me uh, foldable and it required little background knowledge when it came to content right it was all about background knowledge of themselves and what we really wanted to do is for them to understand that they 
broad experience with them that were valued in our classroom. And so we asked them to talk about themselves. And so one of the tabs was just quickly demographics, hobbies, interests, things that you like. Um, and then the second one was aspirations. What do you want to reach? Where is it that you want to go? What are the things that you're excited about? Um, and obviously for me in the background, I was gathering all this information so I can use it later. Uh, but the third tab was my favorite one was um, they had to, they were required to interview somebody in their family. It could be any family member and they had to share one family story. And, you know, we always told students, you know, get on the phone, ask somebody that's at home, whoever, whoever's available, share one story, uh, one thing that you can bring in. And it really, what it did, it was, it created a sense of community in our classroom. And we were able to learn a lot about each other starting from the first week, you know, and everybody felt successful, which, you know, thinking back, so many of my experiences in the classroom, I, from the first day, I did not feel successful, right? And so being able to change that for our students as a teacher was very impactful for me. Well, why don't we talk about that a little bit more? Um, before we started recording, you, you talked about your experiences. Can you tell us about your experience as being a multilingual learner? Yes, of course. So I was born in Bogota, Colombia in the in the 1985. Um, I lived there for a few years and uh, my my family was seeking something different. You know, the time at the time, the country was in a lot of turmoil. Um, and so we we moved to Panama. And so I actually spent the majority of my elementary school schooling in Panama. Um, and so I moved to the United States at, at the age of 11. So that would put me in sixth grade. Um, and it was interesting, you know, you, you your world kind of ends as a child. You know, you, you get on a plane, you, everything you know is gone. Your friends are gone. You're thinking this is the end. Uh, but I remember my, my grandmother wanting me to not miss a beat. You have to go to school. And so the day after I landed on a plane, we went to register a school. And to this day, I remember the conversation was very quick. Uh, what's his name? Is he new to the country? The answer was yes. The next question was, where does it come from? And the moment my grandmother said Panama, you, you could have seen it. It was over. They said English learner, which I, at the time I did not know what that was. But English learner, here's going to be his classes. I heard the term uh, EL12 because that's where he's going to go. Um, we'll have his schedule. He's ready to start tomorrow. And so uh, to be frank, when I started school, um, it was too easy. You know, I had what they didn't know is I had learned English throughout my elementary school years. And so I was given assignments such as, you know, here are your numbers, one through 10, um, you know, very simple, low level colors, you know, names of fruits. And so I just felt like, hey, like, I don't really need to pay attention. I already know all these things. And then uh, sadly, I don't know the, the situation is the same in other schools, but for us, English learners were in a different wing of the, of the school. And so I started quickly realizing that, you know, I was looked at way different than the other students, you know, and there was this label that was, you know, walking with me anywhere that I was, uh, you know, introduced to a teacher was here's Oscar. He's an English learner. Right. And then to me was like, I, I remember just feeling inside, like wanting to scream, like, I can learn this. I can do this. I know the content. Like, you don't have to do things differently for me. But I knew right away that the expectations 
we're set at that point. You know, he can't do it. He's not as, you know, as experienced. He doesn't know the content. And so it, it was really, really hard. And, and I could tell you that as I think back now that, that I have been through the educational system myself, like maybe that's why I made some bad choices. You know, I, I became a student who had behavioral issues. And I think if, if I always laughed, my grandmother would ask me, I had like straight A's and straight U's. I was that student. Right. Like how 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 is that happening? But it was because I felt, you know, unwanted. I felt like I, I, I didn't belong in a classroom. Um, and so I made all those choices. But the what work straight was use? say that again. Oh, straight, unsatisfactory. So behaviorally. Oh. So, see, we get a citizenship. Gift. So you have your academic grade. Right. So academically, because it wasn't so rigorous, I could get an A. It was easy. But behaviorally, I was doing everything in the book that said I wasn't a good student, right? Like I was, I was talking excessively. I was late. I was leaving class. I was doing all those things. Um, and as I think back, you know, had I been challenged, I think I would have stayed in the classroom. It would have been a little bit different. How long were you in the in the English learner program? Okay, so I'm gonna tell you this is this is this is funny that um, so I was in the program for I want to say about a month and a half. Um, and, but let me explain it a little bit better about a month and a half into it. My grandfather was like, what is going on? You do no homework at home. I'm getting these calls about these behaviors, but somehow you're passing your classes. So, so let me find out, let me see your backpack. Let me see what you're doing. And the moment he took out the work from my backpack and he saw my assignments and he saw what I had to do, because obviously he knows my experience before I moved here. He was like, this is unacceptable. What are you doing? We need, you need to, like, you know, English, like you should not be in this program. And so he went back to the school and he, I remember him having this argument and saying, they told him I needed to be reassessed. Uh, because what I forgot, what I left out is I was assessed the day that I enrolled in school, but because I was so tired, I remember the lady saying like, it's okay. You don't have to finish it. We know, like, basically we know where you're going to end up. Um, and so they reassessed me. And after I was done with that, uh, assessment, I went from EL one, two to what they call bridging, which is like the last step before you can get out of the program. But I had to do that to be able to get out this program that I should have never been in in the first place. Um, but it's an interesting story. I, I just, you know, it changed the way I looked at everything. Uh, and I went from doing apple banana and, you know, numbers to here's a five page essay that you have to write. And so it's just, it's just interesting. And, you know, as I, as I look now, I, I don't ever want that experience for our students. And so when I think of our students at our schools, like I want them to feel like they're valued and like we honored them and I don't ever want them to go through the same feelings. Right. And they feel that when the system says, okay, we're going to put you in a different wing or, oh, we're going to put you in a trailer in the back of a school. Exactly. And you have to walk through the rain and all the weather to get there. There's like no cover. I still remember like, and sometimes a trailer doesn't have electricity. It's like, what, like, what are we communicating to our students? Or like I've seen it in other classes where like, Oh, we're gonna we have an extra custodian closet and there's only like a few of you so why don't you we'll, we'll take everything out and you could use like like the room under harry potter's like stairs like that's where Horrible. you learn 
no projector yes, horrible. No, right horrible like what are we communicating to students and, and this is why there's now increasingly more pushback against right. um pull out programs or like mm-hmm. it's still segregated learning yes pull out program has sometimes has a role in particular newcomers and beginners but kids who are who have social language why are they still being pulled out like right why like you could have you the teachers could have been in your classes Mm-hmm. co-teaching co-planning and saying like okay oscar needs to learn about ecosystems and we're going to work together to figure out the language behind that and the science behind that and work it work we'll work on that together yeah every book has a seed what was the book for this seed oscar so uh, for me and like like we've been talking about i think it's it started with my experiences as a multilingual learner myself as a student um and wanting to to change that for students moving forward um, but I think as a, as I became an adult and I entered the educational field and I became an educator, um, I saw that there was little change, right? There, there, little change had happened since the time that I was in the classroom to the time that I was a teacher. And you would expect that, you know, as times move forward, that practices would change, you know, and that the experiences of multilingual learners would change. Uh, but it wasn't happening. And so I, I needed to make sure that we all understood that multilingual learners are capable learners. Uh, I needed to know, I needed everyone to see and read that multilingual learners have a vast experience that they can bring into the classroom. Um, and I wanted to make sure that we got rid of that, uh, what I call the negative label, right? Eng- English language learner to me became a, la- a negative label that I always had to overcome. Um, And I think that every time I heard it, I felt a lack of confidence or I felt like, you know, I I now think of that stereotype threat, right? Oh no, if I say this wrong, I am going to validate this stereotype. And so it always felt like this uphill climb, this uphill uh, barrier that I had to get over. And so, when I had the opportunity to to do my dissertation, I wanted I wanted to make sure that we got rid of that, and I wanted to make sure that that we value multilingual learners and that we made things a lot more streamlined for them, so that they can be successful. Because I can tell you right now that they bring that curriculum with them in the class. You know, when they walk in the door, right? Like they they have such valuable experiences that everyone can learn from. Well, you certainly teamed up with the right people to write this book. I mean, who gets to write with Dr. John Hattie and Dr. Douglas Fisher? And so you actually brought them together or they brought you together or the team was brought together using visible thinking research. So tell us about um, the connection between um, multilingual learners and visible thinking research. Well, I can say I am thankful for a great mentorship. You know, I, I think that teaming up with Hattie, Fisher, Fry, um, just allowed me to see how education can make a difference, right? How it could be intentional. I think that that, that is the big key. How can we be intentional and make sure that we are meeting the needs of our students? And so when I had this, this opportunity, when I needed to write my dissertation, I, I got together with Dr. Fisher and he said, we've been thinking about this and we, we want to address some of the gaps that exist. And we like where you're going. And why don't we just do this together? You know, we, we've been thinking about how we can tie visible learning into the field of multilingual learners. So this is the perfect opportunity. And so we decided to, to look at, you know, the practices that, that made the greatest impact. 
that really could be aimed at multilingual learners and could ensure that they had a positive impact in their learning. And so that's what we set out to, to build, right? We I, I came up with this uh, five C models. Uh, and really the idea for me was it needs to be comprehensive. It needs to tackle the child as a whole. If we really want the experience to be equitable, uh, we can't just focus on one or the other. As I did my research and I read on things that, that were found online, most of it focused on academics and academic language, you know, bigs and caps, right? Going back to, to, to all that, right? Like, and they miss so much of a child and their experiences. And I kept going back to my own personal experiences where I felt like, you know, some of these conditions were changed. If some of the ways that I was addressed would have been changed, I would have tapped into the content. Uh, but no matter how great the teaching was, if those things weren't in place, I wasn't going in because I didn't want to be a part of it. And I didn't feel like they wanted me to be a part of it. And so that's where that's where it all came together. OK, how do we create a comprehensive approach to a multilingual learner so that we can meet their needs? Yeah, I remember um, seeing visible learning like the 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 French, not the franchises, but the most multiple series, like mm-hmm. like visible visible learning for literacy, visible learning for mathematics. And I was like, where's the visible learning for multilinguals? And I'm like, when it came out, I was like, oh, oh my goodness, we have to share this book. I need to get this book in my hand. So uh, when it when it was published, I was like, finally, finally, visible learning for multilingual learners. So you you introduced the 5C, you talked about it. So let's talk about your framework for the rest of the podcast. And can you go through each part of that, of the framework and share examples of that? Of course, yes. So we, like I said, we wanted to come up with a comprehensive approach. And so we came up with the 5C model, uh, the first one being climate. And so when we, when we talk about climate, we wanted to talk about the environment, the feeling of the classroom, right? And so my one area that really popped out was belonging. Do we have an environment in our classrooms in which students, especially multilingual learners, feel like they belong, like they feel valued, like they feel heard? And so we wanted to make sure that we created every little aspect of the classroom to nurture that that feeling for our students. And so how better than to have our students share about themselves, right? Share about their experiences and share about their likes and their their dislikes so that they could understand that every single experience that they've had makes a difference, right? And so when we really think about that sense of belonging is, can I collaborate? Like we talked about earlier, you know, can we eliminate that feeling that you have to be pulled out and you have to be taken to a different area to learn, right? That's that's unacceptable. You don't belong here if I have to pull you out. You don't belong here if you're, you know what, we're going through the lesson, now you need to go. It tells the student everything but that they are part of the student. And so what we wanted to do is focus on this physical setting of the classroom and how we organize it. So if you were to go through the book, you see some examples of how we can ensure that our classroom creates collaboration opportunities, right? Where the students get to interact daily and get to communicate and have that opportunity to practice academic language and social language, right? Because they're seated together and they have to be able to learn from one another. Uh, we talk about classroom agreements 
and how the students should be able to create the norms within the classroom. It is their room. I can tell you right now, being in the classroom, one of my favorite activities was to start the year off by allowing them to come up with the classroom rules. They, as students, know exactly what is needed. Sometimes they were a little harsher than me, right? Some of the rules that they wanted in their rooms we're like a lot tougher. I'm like, okay, like, do we want to do that? Do we, are we going to hold ourselves accountable to these things? But what was happening is they, they were taking ownership. This is our room. And this is what it's going to take for us to be able to, to learn together in this room. Uh, we also talk about grouping and how, how to group our students to be successful. I, I love to share um, for me as a classroom teacher, I made sure that I change seating assignments constantly. Every three weeks, you were you had a new seating chart and the students came to expect it. But what I really wanted was number one, to ensure that everybody was working with one another. If we're gonna call it a community, you gotta make sure that everybody's engaging with one another, right? Everybody's working together. Um, but number two, I was able to then manipulate where students sat so that I could help multilingual learners be successful, right? Sometimes you, I had, and in my case, I have a large population of Spanish speakers and they know so much about what's going on, but they can't communicate it in English. And so if you give them the opportunity to have a partner, right? A peer partner in which they can say it to them in Spanish, hey, here's what's going on in history today. That partner can then voice the student's opinion, right? And they can contribute. I think that one of the main things that we wanted was to ensure that students felt like they can contribute to the classroom and that they brought um, knowledge and that they, they can contribute what they already knew, what they had learned and what they wanted to learn to their peers. And so taking that away, uh, that feeling that they they were just there and they have nothing to contribute, right? That's really what we wanted to to remove. Yeah, it's they say that it's a before you can bloom, mass those before bloom. That's what they say. You have to make sure that students' physical but also emotional needs are are met before you have access to um, they have the mental space to learn content. They have to know that they're safe. They have to know that they're welcome, and that's why climate is so important. Yeah, four more. Okay. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, no, I was just going to say, and I, you know, when I work with adults, I always bring this up. And whenever we have a professional learning opportunity or any time of setting like that, when we walk in, we all have that sense of belonging, right? That need that we look for people that we know. We look for the table where we know we're going to be able to contribute and feel comfortable, right? We do it as adults. And so I, I think, the, you know, the kids are the same way. And so my my biggest takeaway now is, Many of the feelings that our students are experiencing, we experience as adults. And so why not take that into account when we're creating these environments in our rooms? Exactly. Adults feel it too. So imagine how a student feels. Right? Let's move to any of the other ones, other Cs. Okay, so our, yeah, so our next one is challenge. And so when we talked about challenge, we, we talk about teacher expectations. And so for me, this one reminded me of those feelings as a sixth grader right? The expectations for me were lowered the moment I was told I was an English learner. And so that expectation bar had decreased. I was giving low level, no rigor tasks, uh, because honestly, I don't think it was for, for a bad 
uh, I always say this, I don't think that any time in my education that a teacher wanted to do harm or cause harm, they were trying to do what they thought was best. And in their eyes, they believed I was new to the country. I did not know the language. And so I couldn't contribute. I want to change that thinking. That's that's the purpose, right? We want to change the thinking and, and tell teachers that your students bring with them a lot of knowledge. And so we have to keep our expectations high. And we want to make sure that the, the, the work that we give students is challenging, not busy work, but that is challenging. It is challenging their thinking because we want to make sure that we as teachers are designing complex tasks. And I know that we do that for every other student. Let's not change it for our multilingual learners. Let's push them. Let's just make sure that we implement the necessary scaffolds for them to be successful uh, so that they can access that curriculum, that they can show you the knowledge that they have. And so when I think my uh, my time in the, in the classroom, I realized that no matter how complex or how rigorous the task was, if I had enough scaffolds and supports for my multilingual learners, they were always able to reach that expectation. It was never an issue. And yes, for some of them, it took longer. And for some of our multilingual learners, it took more supports. But because I believed they could, and I wasn't going to give up, they pushed themselves. And they they attempted it, and they continued to push and push and push and push till they got it. And so I realized that it's just like, like anybody else. I think that if you, if you really want it, you're going to push yourself to, to know it. And so for challenge of learning, um, if you were to look through the whole uh, chapter, it gives you a lot of different ways in which can challenge our multilingual learners in a productive way uh, so that they can be successful students in the classroom. You're basically saying um, high, high challenge, high support, right? And so students mm -hmm. can, I guess you're, you're really challenging WIDA. WIDA is saying like students can. Everything when we work with multilingual learners, we think about first, what can students do? And let's build on that. You said there are a lot of things in that chapter. What is one thing we could do to challenge students? So we can, uh, we have this great uh, quadrant um, in which we look at fluency, stamina, strategy, thinking, and struggle. And it's where we want our students to be, right? Uh, if we think about fluency, that's something that is very low rigor, right? It's an easy task, but it's something that's going to require a lot of practice. It's something that we have to do and we have to do constantly so that they are practicing um, their fluency. Uh, so low difficulty, low complexity, but they can do it, right? And then we want to push them a little bit. And so I'll talk about stamina. So something that's a little higher in difficulty, but it's still low in complexity, but we can start pushing the students. So if you think about power writing, right? It's one of the things that I did with one of my middle schoolers. So we'd have time where you had to write and it was time, you know, you have two minutes, write as much as you know about, and I'll just put a, a word on there. We can start pushing that stamina, right? We can go to three minutes. We can go to four minutes. We can start adding different variables to the rating so that the students can push themselves and that they can improve uh, where they currently are. Let's yeah. move to another one, another seed, three more. So the next one is clarity. And so if you know anything about visible learning, you know it is we need to make sure that we remove the anxieties 
that we will have, we all have, if we don't have clarity, right? Clarity is the antidote to anxiety. We need our multilingual learners to understand what is expected of them. If they know their expectations, then they can accomplish those expectations. And so when we talk about clarity, we're talking about them understanding what is it that they're learning today? Why am I learning it? And how will I, the, the learner myself, will know that I am achieving these? And so one of the things that we talk about in the book is this idea of success criteria and learning intentions, right? And their learning intentions are a destination where we want our students to end that day. But we have little checkpoints along the way that are called success criteria so that a student can self-assess, okay, I am understanding where I am on this learning journey and I am doing great, right? Or a student can say, hey, can I get your help? I haven't been able to check any of these success criterias. I'm stuck. Um, can I get support? The second side of this is when I was in the classroom, this would be my exit slip. And so I would have students turn in their success criteria, checked in the box, not checked in the box. And so as a teacher, I was able to look through the, through the exit slip and I knew, am I ready to move on or do I need to reteach the content? Because I think that unfortunately in, in so many experiences, we move on. Okay, I, I, you know, I have a timeline. I have to get through all this content and your students are stuck. And so as a teacher, it was so valuable to know where they felt they were because they they'll be honest. They'll tell you exactly where they're at in their learning journey, right? And so I, as a teacher, I was able to stop, time out. We're going to go back. I'm going to do a little bit better job of adding clarity about the content that we are learning so that we can be successful. And so I think that that is one of the biggest takeaways uh, that I had as a classroom teacher was daily informal ways of assessing whether the students understood the content or not. And when it came to multilingual learners, no better way than having one-on-one -on -one conversations than to go and over the, the exit slip, right? Once I read the exit slip, I wanted to understand, was it the content? Is it a language barrier? Or is it a combination of both? Because then I can add the necessary scaffolds to ensure that the student's understanding that content. Um, would you tell us about the uh, effect size of clarity on learning? Yes, so the the effect size uh, for student learning on teacher clarity is a 0.85. And so as we know on visible learning, the desire effect size is 0.04. And so we can see that teacher clarity has a huge impact on the learning of students. And so this is one that you, you cannot overlook, right? As I, as I now get to work with many other schools and I get to travel, I get to see the difference in classrooms when they have learning intentions posted on the board, right? So the students know exactly where they're expected to learn and the classrooms that don't and how, you know, easy or complicated it could be for a student to verbally tell you what is it that they're doing and why is it that they're doing it. And, you know, I, I've learned that with learning intentions, the kids can articulate the purpose of the learning and often without the learning intentions, the kids will tell you the task that they're doing. And right, so, so it's just that superficial, like this is what we're doing, 
but it doesn't really get to, okay, what is the content and why are you learning that content? Yeah, I guess when you're talking about uh, teacher clarity, it, it's like double the effect size. That's huge. And I think when I when I work with teachers and when I think about my own instruction, the first lens in which I see my instruction is through comprehensible input. And you're mm-hmm. channeling uh, PSYOP right there. Like, how can we make content comprehensible, our instruction mm-hmm. comprehensible? If they're not, there is no output. And so I'm happy that you added clarity of learning as part of one of your five C's. Two more C's. Yes. So the next one is cohesion of learning. And we wanted to look at the teaching practices, at the way that we as teachers make the content accessible to multilingual learners. And so one of the best ways that we can say this is modeling, right? As a, as a classroom teacher, I realized that the better I modeled, the easier it was for multilingual learners to be successful in the classroom. A task as simple as creating a foldable, right? If I got up in front of the room and I demonstrated exactly here's a hamburger fold and now we're going to do a hot dog fold, right? But I was visually showing the students how to do it. All of a sudden you saw the smiles. Nobody was lost. Multilingual learners felt like, you know, I can just follow along. And they were hearing the instructions, right? They were they were getting that comprehensible input, right? They're hearing it, but they're actually seeing it. And they're visually seeing what they need to do. And so they were feeling successful. The other thing that that I loved through modeling was anytime that I annotated uh, any of the tasks on the board and I was able to really think out loud and write down the notes and show students like what was going through my head. As a multilingual learner myself, I would make comparisons to things that were similar in Spanish, right? And look, this word is just like a word in Spanish. Like I, and I would have many examples. And the one thing that I did that, you know, I, I know not everybody feels comfortable with, I made mistakes on purpose, right? When I was reading and I would write my notes, I said, this is what I think it means. And it was awesome to have students raise their hands. Like, I don't think that was, that's not what it means. Maybe Mr. Corrigan, right? Like, no, 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 no. But it made it engageable. And what I wanted the students to kind of see was it's okay to make mistakes. We all make mistakes, but what we do is we learn from those mistakes. And so the second uh, second example for cohesion of learning is we, we talk about GRR, right? The gradual release of responsibility, uh, the way that we should gradually release responsibility from the teacher to the student, right? And I think that in my own personal experience, I don't know what it was like for you, but when I think back of being in the classroom, the teacher did it and I did it. There wasn't much in between. And I went to school back in the day when it was just your desk, right? In rows. So there wasn't a lot of collaboration. So, so there wasn't a lot of we do, and there wasn't a lot of you guys do it together. And so we really emphasize on gradual release of responsibility and how we can slowly release that responsibility to multilingual learners and how we can help them collaborate and work together to gain gain access to that curriculum and that content that you're trying to deliver. Yeah, I think um, when people talk about like, how do we get uh, students, multilingual learners to develop their their language goes like, are they speaking together? Are they collaborating together? Because then you get reading, writing, speaking, and listening in all of that. Mm-hmm. And so I teach writing through and reading 
through uh, collaboration. Students are reading the text together. They're talking about the text together. They have to produce a paragraph about the text together. So they're reading each other's writing. They're synthesizing it. They're writing it together. It's all interconnected. And so that's the cohesion part. Mm -hmm. And I, and, you know, just to touch a little bit more on that, I was always told, and, you know, I, I get to work with some great mentors um, and I, I was always told it should be at least 50, 50, right. They should hear from you 50% of the time, but they should get to collaborate and hear from each other 50%, the other 50% of the time. And it's, it's, it's amazing to walk around a room and get to hear the students talk to one another and, you know, one of the things that we wrote in the book was translanguaging, right? Like that ability of being able to use all language, whatever. So that way you can have your full capacity into the conversations. But so many times I heard students just, you know, they start talking about it because I was a history teacher. So their history in English, and then they'll go right to Spanish, right? Whatever part they needed to get it a little bit more elaborate, but they couldn't do it in English. So they did it in Spanish, but it was academic. And it was it was really cool to just jump in and be able to understand that, you know, they were engaging in the content and they were into it. And to be honest, one of the best things that I can ever remember is my my students who took ownership of helping their peers and they felt number one, you know, helpful. They felt like they did the right thing. But number two, what they didn't realize is if you have to reteach that content right? You're learning that content and you're becoming an expert. You're, you're getting that mastery in the content to be able to reteach it to your, to your peers. And so it's just some, it's a, it's a lot of the little things that um, thinking back wasn't, wasn't acceptable for me as a student. You know, I, I always heard that you speak English in this room, you know, you don't, you don't speak Spanish, you're, it's English, you have to do it in English. And so there are lots of opportunities um, that now we just want to make sure that those experiences change for, for our multilingual learners. Right. Uh, so when you spoke about translanguaging, I think it really connects to all three, climate, challenge, and clarity. As students are translanguaging, you're creating a space, a climate for them to feel like they can engage, which means they can have greater clarity of the content. And the mm -hmm. content is the same because we're not challenging. We're giving them the same challenge. We're not saying, mm -hmm. oh, no, 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 you can't access this content. Oh no, access this content with your multiple language that you need so that you can have greater clarity. Right, right, 100%. And, I, and I think that, that that that's unfortunately missed in a lot of, in a lot of different places. So Lassie's check. So our last, yeah, our Lassie's checking into learning. Um, and it's about the way that we assess our students, you know, informal and formal assessments, formative and summative assessments. Is this idea that we need to remove ourselves from the one-stop gap, the multiple choice test at the end of the unit. That is the only way that we do it. And then that is the grade that you get. If we want to be successful at assessing the learning of multilingual learners, we have to do it in different ways. We have to take the time to really talk to our multilingual learners and understand where they're at. And so for me, uh, I love to do oral assessments, uh, formative assessments, check-ins, uh, because even though my student might not be able to write it or might not be able to put it into an essay, right? There were so many times where our students were able to tell me exactly what was going on. And so now I knew all I need to do is help and scaffold the writing part. 
It's not a content issue. The content's there. They understand it. They gained it. They have it. But because of where they are in their language skills, they can't produce an essay, right? And so it's not fair to say you get a zero or you get an F. You don't know the content because that's simply not true. You know the content. And so the whole chapter focuses on different ways to assess multilingual learners because it needs to be comprehensive for us to know where they're at. And so one of the best things, and I know I talked about exit slips, but just different ways in which you connect with students to assess where their learning journey is. Um, because in many schools still today, where I go places to places, we, we focus on a sum summative assessment. And oftentimes it's either an essay or a multiple choice uh, test. And we know I, well, I just, I'll be honest, I'll speak for myself. Anytime I have any type of assessment that is a multiple choice or a true or false, the language gets in my way, okay? And the moment that I read the question, I know an answer and I tell you right now, 90% of the time I doubt myself and I think that the question means something that it doesn't. And by the time it's all over, I put in the wrong answer. And then when I get it back, it's like, it's the first, uh, I, I had it all along, right? And I know that in my own personal experiences, a lot of the questions, the way they were written are not meant for multilingual learners, right? Because the way that we phrase things in Spanish are not the way we phrase things, you know, in English. Same thing with Arabic or any other language. And so as a multilingual learner, you're struggling, right? You have that double challenge. You're trying to learn the language. You're always trying to learn the content. And so assessments were really, really hard. And I don't think uh, they painted a fair picture of where I was at. And so when we focus on it is, okay, how do we get away from that experience? And how do we ensure that each multilingual learner has an opportunity to demonstrate their content knowledge and demonstrate where they're at? And so it's an interesting interesting point because a lot of a lot of my conversations uh, focus on, okay, when do we have the time to do that? right? And so for me is if if we truly want to be intentional and we truly care about the learning of our students, these are all part of our planning, right? We put these checks into place before we even go over the content so that you have an opportunity. I remember, uh, in my classroom, I love doing rotations or stations, right? And so one of my stations was simply put in place to check in and have a formative assessment, right? It was my opportunity to engage in a conversation with the students and know where they were at in their content. And so there's a lot of different ways, you know, that, that we share it in a book. I know that we don't have enough time to go all uh, over all of those, um, but we need to do it. We need to make sure that that we're setting different types of assessments for our multilingual learners. Right. Well, that's why they can get the books. This is just a teaser, an introduction so that they can purchase and uh, purchase many copies so they can do book studies around it. So when you talked about um, assessments and checks, it's very aligned to our book, my book with Beth. And we talked about ass assessments can become reading and writing tests and not content-based tests. And that's when Students who have the language, they're like, I don't know, understand this question. I don't even know how to answer this question. I know the content. I don't know how to answer, mm -hmm. how to start it. And so 
you're talking about making assessments um, accessible through formative assessments. This has been a fantastic podcast, Dr. Oscar Corrigan. Let's do something called traffic light teaching. Let's wrap this up. What would you ask teachers to keep doing? Green light, stop doing red light and pause to consider yellow light. All right. So green light, continue making an impact for students. Everything that you do makes an impact. I know that the work is hard, but it's meaningful. I know that building relationships with students is the key. So I hope that you continue to push yourself and continue to push your students to be successful learners, because I want you to remember that every single learner is a capable learner. And so we just have to give them that opportunity. I want you for stop. Um, I want you to stop uh, lowering the expectations of multilingual learners. I want you to stop if you don't believe that they have valuable experiences and knowledge that they can contribute. I want you to stop uh, that mindset. And what I want you to pause and ponder is what can I do? What do I need to do? How can I make my teaching stronger? Because I know that every single educator cares about their students and you want to do the very best. So I think it's about pushing yourself to be better. And so I know that you and I share this, this belief. We can't get complacent. We have to continue to, to push ourselves. And each and every day, there are new teaching practices that are put into place that are better for students. And it is our job to learn those strategies so that we can improve the learning of our students in our schools. Well, this book is the living embodiment of Dr. Maya Angelou's quote of, when we know better, we do better. And so thank you for the conversation for this resource so we can do just a little bit better with a few more practices. Dr. Oscar Corrigan, muchas gracias. Uh, gracias. Gracias por tenerme. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure spending some time with you. And I love everything that you're doing to push and push our educators to become better teachers and multilingual learners. I'm, I'm blushing now. Thank you. <laughs> Before we recap this episode, I have a favor and an invitation. My favor is to ask you to please review this podcast. My invitation is to check out my three courses on English Learner Portal. One is on creating the conditions for MLs to thrive, one on teacher collaboration, and one based on my co-authored book with Beth Skelton called Long-Term Success for Experienced Multilinguals. Now, on to our recap. I hope you feel validated and seen through this episode with Dr. Oscar Corrigan. If I could summarize his work, it basically says that MLs can thrive when we create a culture where they have access to challenging content, but supported through the clarity of instruction that involves frequent checks for understanding and a cohesive curriculum, where MLs follow a progression of learning that is thoughtful and intentional. This sounds exactly like the things that many of us are doing and trying to continue to do. Now we just have the research that backs it up. Thank you for listening. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode. Thank you for listening. Be safe and be rooted in peace.
It's your turn to play traffic light teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode. 